Good morning. Yeah, that was all right. Uh, well, many of you know uh, I am part of this network of pastors uh, here in Seattle that's actually part of a larger national network called Made to Flourish. We're a group of pastors that uh, are, uh, have questions and, and are concerned and are trying to embrace this sense that uh, discipleship is to be lived out in all of life, especially in areas of work and economics, that that's the place where many of us spend most of our days at work, and that if the gospel is going to make sense anywhere, it needs to make sense there. So every now and then we gather pastors together here in Seattle, and we have breakfast together, lunches, and every now and then we'll have a speaker. And uh, we actually, we, we, we had a guy that had written a book that I really enjoyed named Todd Bolsinger, who actually is your boss's boss from Fuller Seminary. Uh, and he was in town, and we had, we had gathered him for this breakfast uh, to speak to some pastors about how to do our work well, uh, how to do our work in, in a season of, of transitions that we might not all understand. And because I had, had been the point of contact, I was tasked with introducing him. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a lecture or some speaking engagement where someone gets up, they introduce themselves, and then they start introducing the person who's actually going to speak. That was my role. And uh, so I got up, I said, hey, my name's Mark, I'm here to introduce Todd, and then I just, I blanked. I had, I couldn't remember his title, I couldn't remember the title of his book, I couldn't remember other things that he had done, and I just, I, I kind of stopped, and I was like, Todd, why don't you tell us about yourself? <laughs> and that was, that was my introduction for Todd. Um, we're looking at the first few chapters of Hebrews this morning, and the author of Hebrews does this. The author of Hebrews is introducing to us the main character, the main speaker, Jesus Christ. And these, these first four verses, which you actually already heard Heather read earlier in the service, are his introduction to who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and the reason uh, that someone will introduce a speaker by telling about their you know, their position, the things that they've achieved is, is to get you to pay attention to them, right? Like this is someone that knows their stuff. You should listen. Similarly, the, the author of Hebrews wants us to know why it is that we ought to pay attention to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, that's great. It'll be on the screen. It's also on your phones. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's pray. Lord, just as we have sung, we do ask that you would speak to us through your written word here, through Hebrews, but also, as the author of Hebrews says, through your son, Jesus Christ, that you would speak to us and reveal more and more of who you are and who you are calling us to be. Open our ears and our eyes this morning that we would hear you and see you and leave here a changed people by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is quite a way to start a letter, right? No formal greeting, just right into this is who you should be paying attention to, and this is why. Jesus is all of these things. He's the way that God has spoken, the exact representation of God's being. Well, the middle two verses here, I want to take a particular focus on, verses 2 and 3. And in the Greek, this is all one long run-on sentence. Uh, our translations tend to break it up a little bit just so that we have a place to breathe. But the, the, you should be left feeling a little bit breathless at the end of this list of attributes of Jesus. And I just want to, to highlight uh, very briefly, there's seven different uh, descriptive phrases here in the middle two verses. So I think we have, there we go. So first of all, Jesus is the heir of all things. I was joking with, with Matt that this is one of those Greek phrases that preachers love to, to highlight that they know Greek. So I'm going to do that. Uh, all things, which appears a number of times in this passage, is tapanta. And, it, and it's this expansive, you know, doesn't, it leaves nothing out of the realm that Jesus is going to receive as his inheritance. All things are Jesus' possession. And in the end, he will receive it all as his inheritance. Um, in Colossians, Paul says that God is reconciling all things, same phrase, to himself in Christ. It's a, it's a relational reality. Jesus is going to receive everything in proper relationship to him, even though things are not like that now. Right? Things are, sin has twisted things. Our own relationship to each other and to Jesus are twisted. But in the end, everything will be made new. Everything will be reconciled to God in Christ. And Jesus will receive everything to himself as his inheritance. So we're starting here at the end. The author says, this is, this is where everything's going. Everything is headed towards Christ. To be fulfilled in him, that's where we're going. And then he takes us back to the beginning. Everything has been made by Jesus. He made the whole universe. Uh, God has worked through Jesus in the creation of everything. Christ was present with God in creation. Uh, going on, so that then these next two are kind of connected. The radiance of God's glory, the very glory of God emanates from Jesus Christ. Uh, in Exodus, Moses asks to see God's glory. He's on Mount Sinai, and he asks to see God's glory, and God says, no, it will kill you. <laughs> Uh, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in a cave. I will hide your face with my hand and I will pass by you. And once I've passed by you, I'll remove my hand and you can see the wake of my glory. You can see my back. Maybe, maybe you can handle that. This same glory, this same majesty is present and shines forth from Jesus. Jesus is also the exact representation of God's being. And this is kind of another interesting Greek phrase. It's a word that actually only occurs here in the New Testament. And uh, what we translate as exact representation, if you're just to, to sound it out in the Greek, uh, it sounds like character. That's the word, character. This exact representation. Uh, it's, it's used elsewhere outside of the New Testament to, to mean an engraver or a stamp or an exact copy. So Christ is the exact representation of God's being, which is uh, this word that means the substance, the stuff, whatever it is, the stuff that makes God God, that stuff. Jesus has that same stuff in him. We've been spending a few weeks 
asking this question, uh, how do we know what God is like? How do we know what God the Father is like? And each week we're coming back to the same answer, that we know what God is like because we look at Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, we see the different characteristics of God portrayed completely and fully. And these two uh, phrases here in the middle, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, further that idea that if we want to know the Father, we only have to look at Jesus Christ the Son. This, is, this was really crucial for the early church as they wrestled with, is Jesus fully God or, 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 or fully human or, or part? Or how, how did that work out? And this was one of those passages that they looked at, and you, you can't get away from the fact that he's fully God. Later on in, in this book, in Hebrews, the author will, will spend time telling us how Jesus is fully human as well and how only someone who is fully human and fully God can be the perfect mediator between God and man. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. We have that same phrase again, all things. God is not simply a distant, aloof creator. He didn't simply make things through Christ and then step back to watch the world, see what happens. But he sustains all things. Jesus is active and dynamic in our lives and in our world, though sometimes it remains hidden. This, uh, this image, the, the, the word here is, brings up images of water and wind, that they, they bear things up and also carry them towards a goal, right? It's not the picture of, of Atlas with the weight of the world on his shoulders just sort of standing there bearing up underneath it, but it's, it's a more active dynamic sense that just as a current would, would bear a ship towards a safe harbor or wind would, would carry a bird towards its home. That's the sense in which Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. He's also provided purification for sins. This, again, is going to be a significant theme for the author of Hebrews throughout the book, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the only perfect sacrifice that could remove the stain of sin from our lives. It's perfect. Finally, he sat down, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And here we have this image of, of completeness. Right? This whole passage started with God speaking to his people, communicating who he is. And in the past, he did that with prophets and through a variety of means. But here he's done it fully and completely in Jesus. And we need no more revelation of who God is than what we find in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more to be added, nothing more to be added to Christ's work or his ministry. Right? We hear him say on the cross, it is finished. What he has accomplished for us in the forgiveness of our sins and offering us new life was completed and done on the cross. And he sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, this is, this is not meant to be taken literally, but this is where we get the phrase, my right-hand man, right? That the right hand was the place of power and authority, that someone could act on behalf of someone by sitting, that, that was sitting at their right hand. And so Jesus sustains all things from this place of power and authority next to God, that it's God's very power and authority that is pouring out through Jesus, sustaining all of us. What a picture. 
What an introduction. Within these seven uh, descriptive phrases of, of Jesus, which again, all this is just one long run-on sentence in the Greek, um, there are three that are particularly compelling to me, and they create for us, I think, a timeline, uh, a sense of reality that we can find ourselves in. We can find our story in this larger story. And I created a little slideshow animation here that's going to blow your minds. Hit it, James. Yeah. Yeah. That took a lot longer than it should have to do. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the heir of all things. Romans 11 says it this way, For from him and through him and for him are all things. Or in the New Living Translation, everything comes from him, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. This is, uh, this is the story, the grand story, the big story that we find ourselves in. And it, it kind of lifts my eyes, I think, from where I tend to be, which is pretty myopically focused on myself. Uh, and it helps me see myself and my story inside God's bigger story. Having created all things, sustaining all things by his powerful word, and intending all things for his glory. So I, I think there are, I mean, there's probably many implications for this, but there's three that I want to highlight, one for each of these realities. Because Christ is the creator of all things, we handle things and people as though they are holy and sacred, because they are. I think it's pretty easy to see and to know that people are precious in God's sight. We, we sing that song to our kids, made in his image and of the utmost value, but but also to treat the stuff of this earth, the stuff that God has made, as holy as well. The raw material that God gave to Adam and Eve to steward, to enjoy, to cultivate, to make things from, to turn it into stuff that's good and useful and beautiful. This stuff is holy too. So we take care of people. We also take care of the world, the environment, not just because we live in Seattle and it's trendy, or because we're a bunch of hippie tree huggers. We do it because God made it. Jesus created all things. And so we cultivate it, and we make stuff out of it that serves people and that honors God. We take grain and we make bread. We take cotton and rubber and we make shoes. We take pigment and we make paintings, trees, and we make homes. Not irresponsibly, but sustainably in a way that honors Jesus as the creator of all things. So we handle stuff and we handle people differently because Jesus has made all things. Because Jesus Christ is the sustainer of all things, we can relax and rest and be patient as he sustains us and bears everything in the world towards his purposes. think Jesus, as our sustainer, builds patience in us that trusts that God is actually at work in our lives and in our world. That if, it's, if this is his creation and if he's the one sustaining it and ultimately will receive it as his inheritance, um, we can relax into his pace of change, which is often slower than we would like. 
we're freed from needing to have everything figured out right now. And I know that that's often, I feel that sense. I want to, I want to be there already, <laughs> right? I want to have this figured out. I want to have this question figured out. And I think trusting that Jesus is sustaining me and sustaining all things helps me rest and relax into his pace, which is slower than mine. Second Peter says, says this, the Lord, he is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So because Christ sustains me, I can relax into his pace. But because Christ is receiving everything as his inheritance, that everything is heading towards its end and his purposes, I also have a sense of urgency of bringing every area in my life into alignment with what God wills. I don't just sit back. Even though I'm relaxed at the pace, I also don't just sit back and don't do anything. I don't avoid change. I can engage with a sense of urgency all the parts of my life that need to be brought into alignment with God's will. I can ask questions about what my work would look like if I was really working unto the Lord. Right, All areas of my life, my, my money, my relationships, my marriage, my sexuality, my family, all of these things I can engage with in a sense of urgency that, that I, can, I can look to Christ and I can see through his word and through his Holy Spirit's leading, I can see where they're heading, what, what it would look like to have a redeemed marriage. And I can get a foretaste of that now as Summer and I forgive each other and offer grace towards each other, even though we sometimes don't feel like it. Jesus Christ is the creator, the sustainer, and the heir of all things. As I was thinking about this, uh, this, this timeline, this, this, this worldview that we find ourselves in, um, I think the one that was most compelling to me is the sense that Jesus sustains me, sustains all things by his powerful word. And it reminded me of a dream that I had uh, that I am, if ever God spoke to me in a dream, it was this dream. I've had some dreams where I'm highly confident God is not speaking to me. Dreams that I think are primarily fueled by my own anxiety and worry and dreams where I am, and I kid you not, this is a dream I've had several times where I show up and I'm, it's clear that I show up somewhere and I'm supposed to be leading worship and I haven't prepared anything. And I'm, maybe I'm in my underwear and it's awkward and anyways. That's not this dream. This is a different dream. I just want to share, I want to share this with you because I think it captures something of, of what it might feel like, what it might be like to experience the sustaining grace of Christ in our everyday lives. In my dream, I, uh, I found myself in this river, in a current, and I was fighting against it uh, and losing. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, was, I was thrashing about, I was, I was panicked, um, and... And somehow, uh, and again, you can't, you know, it's a dream, right? So it doesn't follow normal laws of physics and things like that. Uh, then there's this figure that appears on the, on the riverbank and simply says, let go. Stop fighting. And so in my dream, I relaxed and found that the current just 
bore me along on this river. And again, this is where it's clearly a dream. It went like out into the ocean. And at this point, I'm sort of looking above myself at the whole scene. And I go out into the ocean and then back up in, into the inland. And it sort of did this circuit. And I, I, I felt this sense of joy and peace. Uh, and I woke up. Not, not a terribly involved dream, but what, what struck me and what has stuck with me and what made me remember that dream is that when I woke up, uh, I, I, my pillow was wet with tears. I'd been just weeping in my dream. And I had the deepest sense of peace uh, in the middle of the night. And I, that, that lodged that dream in my mind and I think has been something that I've gone back to and tried to remember and, and said, okay, what, what would it look like? What would it feel like to to really trust that Christ is the sustaining power of my life. And if I can offer a simple way that we might practice life that feels like that, I might join Paul in encouraging us all to pray without ceasing, which as soon as I say that phrase, I feel like my initial reaction is, who can pray without ceasing? that's not a monk living in a monastery without kids or a job or a house to take care of or any of the other things that take our attention and our energy. Who can pray without ceasing? But I think that when we, when we push back against it, it's because we think of prayer as this dedicated, set-aside thing that we do that takes all of our attention and we have to do with our eyes closed in a quiet place, undistracted. But I think to experience the, the peace and the sustaining power of Christ in our everyday life, we have to approach every little moment in this prayerful attitude, this acknowledgement that Christ is with me. Christ is sustaining me in this decision that I have to make at work. Lord, what would you have me do here? In this relationship with a family member that's difficult, Lord, help bring reconciliation. Help me say the right thing. Help me bite my tongue when I need to do that. Help me offer grace. Living a life with this, uh, this, this prayerful sense that in every interaction, in every decision, Christ is with me, sustaining me, leading me. That's easier said than done. And I think that's the kind of work uh, that the Spirit will work on us our entire lives and we will never arrive. Uh, which I think is incredibly exciting, that we will never master this. We will always be able to grow more and more entrusting and relying on the sustaining power of Christ. So I hope this morning that you can begin to see your life, your story, your journey, uh, as, as a part of this larger story that God is working, that God is writing. As the creator of all things, who made you, who made everything in this world. As the sustainer of all things, giving you the strength and the grace in every moment of every day. And as the heir of all things, as the one who is going to receive as his inheritance everything in this world, calling us to, to bring every area of our lives in line with his intentions. It is, uh, it is so fitting that we're going to end this morning by coming to the table. Again, we began this, this passage by saying, uh, that God has spoken to us in a variety of ways over the years, but his, the fullness of his revelation, the fullness of his speech, if you will, um, is in Jesus Christ. 
whom we encounter in the bread and the cup. So if you would join me in prayer, we'll prepare our hearts to come and to encounter the risen Christ this morning. Lord, we forget. We are a forgetful people. And we read stories of the people of Israel. We read stories of the disciples, of their forgetfulness too. Forgetting who you are, how much you have done for us. Forgetting that you are, in fact, the sustaining power of our lives. Forgive us, Lord. Comfort us with the truth that you have taken away the stain of sin. That you remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And that you are constantly calling us back to, back to yourself. Would you give us the grace today of knowing just a little more where you are calling us to change in our lives and give us the grace to know and to experience the sustaining power of your word, giving us the strength to change, the energy to engage this world with the love of Christ. So as we come to this table, Lord, forgive us, give us strength, fill us up with your spirit that we would leave here changed more into your image this morning. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, creator, sustainer, and heir of all things. Amen.